You're listening to a podcast from gravitychurch.com, Lodi, California. This is my wife, Allison. Um, she's the one, if, uh, if you've been over to the teen center, you've seen some of the things that are going on. Uh, pretty much anything good that's happened over there has been because she's been a part of it. So um, she's the one who really deserves the round of applause. Um, I'm assuming that everybody here, because it sounds like, and, and talking with Jason and Shauna, I know that um, 180 has kind of been the organization that you've been talking a lot about this month. So I'm assuming everybody here kind of knows what we do. Is that, is that right? Is there anybody here who has no clue what 180 is? All right. So there's a few of you guys. Um, we'll put some information in the back. No. Um, <laughs> There, One, there is information. Yeah, there is information. There'll be some back there. Um, 180's private nonprofit teen center. Um, we were started seven years ago. And in seven years, we've become something that seven years ago we, we really had never intended. But we really think that what's happened in that process has been really beautiful. So um, I think in order for you to be able to understand 180 and what we do, what we need to first do is kind of do a little Bible study um, to kind of understand our sort of theology of ministry. And so I'm going to share just a few uh, kind of passages of scripture, understandings that we have about how to do that. Um, and then we're going to tell you guys a story that we think is a really beautiful representation of what's going on, what God's doing um, through us and oftentimes in spite of us. And so um, kind of in the beginning of time, God said some very profound things, and I think one of the most profound things that he said um, was that it's not good for man to be alone. Because if we know the Genesis story, we know it's a story of a creative God who's just bursting with this energy and passion, and he's making all these things. And every time he makes something, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And so there's this rhythm, ocean and, and, and mountains, good, birds and beasts, good, um, the, the light separated from the darkness, good, it's good, it's good. But then there's this break in the rhythm, and the break comes not with an apple and a snake. Um, the break comes when he notices that the man he created was alone, and he said, it's not good. And so there's this dissonance that kind of creeps in. It's not good. And so what we believe is that deep within us, we have this desire, we have this need for connection. We have this need to be connected. And, and, and the weird thing about it is, in the Genesis story, God connects through this other person that he puts there. And so in, in that sense, God, God himself realizes that all this that he's created, it's not enough. And even God, this perfect relationship that he has with them is not enough. It's only enough when there's another human that enters into the process. Um, and so you have this woman that gets created. And so this is why when somebody, we believe when somebody comes into our lives, and trust me, this is getting back to the teen center. But, but <laughs> I'm like, wow, we're way off in the middle of nowhere right now. We're really just talking about our marriage. I know. <laughs> yeah. So when we first met, no. And it's not good for me to be alone, apparently. <laughs> we, we really believe that this is why when somebody comes into our lives and says, I'm going to journey with you. I'm going to walk with you. Me too. Okay. I, I, I'm talking about the, the ways that I'm struggling, the things that I'm going through. And someone comes into my life and says, me too. I get it. Or even if I don't get it, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to come into your life. That's why something so profound happens in that moment, because we have this deep longing that goes on. And so if you turn in your Bibles, like, way back into the other half of the Bible, to Hebrews chapter 4, you find that the early Christians start talking about this. They understand this whole concept of, of this longing that we have for, for connection and intimacy. Because there's this person, Jesus, who walks the earth, and he's doing all these amazing things. He's healing, and he's comforting, and he's bringing a new way to be human into the world. And, and then this Jesus gets crucified. 
Um, and then, and then something amazing happens because he gets raised from the dead and a bunch of people see him die and then they see him alive again. And Jesus tells the people to go and live this way that I showed you how to live in the world. And he says, I and the father are one. And so very, very early on, you have these early Christians saying things like God visited us. God came near this God that was once far off has now come and lived among us. And so in Hebrews four, you have this verse that I think is just really profound. It says Hebrews four 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, and the high priest is Jesus. But we have one who has been emptied or tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the early Christian belief was that God came among us and that, and that Jesus had lived like sweat, blood, guts, like right down in the dirt with us. And because of that, He's able to sympathize. He's able to come alongside. He's able to understand. We have a God that understands. God took on flesh. Um, The Message Bible says we have a God that took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, um, which I think is really profound. And so there's this sense, and there's a word for this, kind of a theological word that we use for our ministry. It's called incarnation. Um, What we do over at 180, we believe is incarnational because we believe that God called us basically to do what Jesus did which is to come down, flesh and blood, nuts and bolts and guts and dirt, right in the midst of where some of these broken kids are at and become, in essence, a picture of God. And we found that we're not very good at that a lot of times um, because I'm not very good at being God. I don't know how many of you guys are. Um, I'd love to meet you if you are. Um, But that's what God called us to do, to incarnate, to show the world what he is like. And so for us, that calling is to show these kids, these broken, these at-risk kids that we deal with on a daily basis at the Teen Center what he is like. And that means entering into their journey with them in an incarnational ministry. So kind of the way this works, and we have a neat story that that God has kind of been putting together for a really, really long time. Um, We have this kid who, and and, and this is the way this works. We have this kid that we've been walking with for a long, long, long time, um, like seven years we've been walking with this kid. He first came to the teen center at about 13 years old. Um, and this was the kind of kid who, um, if the police called, there's like a 50, 50 chance that it was about him. Um, if, you know, if there are a bunch of kids causing havoc over in the corner and, and we have to go break up a fight, um, nine times out of 10, he was either the cause of it or, or in the midst of it. Um, it was just a kid who he was the type of kid that we used to say like trouble, Trouble follows this kid around, you know, like, it, 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 and, and the hardest thing, though, about, about this kid, and we'll call him Joe, the hardest thing about Joe, um, whose story we have permission to share, um, is, wasn't all the, all the trouble that he was getting in. It was, the hardest thing about Joe was all the strides that he was making and all the good things that was happening, that were happening in his life, because he'd, he'd make some amazing steps. I mean, he, he, he verbalized that he wanted to follow Jesus. He started coming to our, our Bible studies and, and he started going through our programs and he'd, he'd show up with just this huge smile on his face and he'd want to help. And, and the, that was the hardest part because every single time we'd see some sort of movement in him, he would fall. And then the next time we'd see some movement and he'd fall harder. And then we'd see some movement and he'd fall harder. He um, started dealing drugs and that was a problem for us. Um, he got caught by the police taking his, his parents' car for a joyride. Um, and we had to deal with that whole prob- 
problem process. Next thing we know, he's got an ankle monitor on and he's on probation. We have to deal with that whole process. And the whole time, you guys, the whole time we're seeing this movement and then we're seeing this falling apart happen. And so there's this weird dissonance of he wants God and he wants to follow him, but he's making all these mistakes along the way, okay? And so we see him make a decision to follow Jesus and then we see him really like, like not show any evidence of that. And it was just really, that was the most difficult thing for me. Um, the last time that I talked to him um, was a phone call that I got. And in this phone call, he's, he's, he calls me and he's sobbing, he's crying. Um, and he's got this, this just quiver to his voice. He says, Jake, there's squad cars everywhere. They're all around my house. Um, and, I, and, I, and I start asking him, well, what happened? What'd you do? And he starts sharing with me what he did. And um, it became really apparent to me that, yeah, he's going to get taken away. Um, he's, he's going to juvenile hall or worse um, after this whole situation happened. Um, that was the last I heard from him. Profoundly, profoundly difficult time. Um, and so the story picks up. What winds up happening, and I'll let Ali kind of share um, about adolescent family services and, and how that, it, it all comes together, trust us. So. Yeah. So we'll seem random. But um, when we first came to Lodi, we not only were working at the teen center, but we were also, well, Jake was the junior high youth pastor. Um, so that's where we met the student, Joe, and how we were connected with him. And I had the opportunity, as probably many of you do, you get to mentor or just be, like, like share life with these students. Um, I wasn't necessarily Joe's mentor, but girls that were struggling severely as well. I found myself um, really working with at-risk teens, and I could only go so far. And then my resources or my knowledge kind of stopped, and we just had to pray really hard. But I didn't always have the best... Um, advice. I didn't know what to do. So I went back to college um, and get, to get my master's, and I got my master's in marriage and family therapy. So now I'm an intern, so I'm gaining those lovely 3,000 hours to be licensed. But in doing that, we were able to open a counseling center at the teen center. And um, so we bought the little house next door to the teen center, and we have an office, and we're on some of the school campuses offering decision-making classes, which is evidence-based, but I'm telling you, it's the book of Proverbs. It's like there's two paths, and every choice that you make, you have to take responsibility, and it puts you one step closer or farther away from your goals. And it's that's been really cool. So now we have these opportunities to go onto campuses. Um, we can't necessarily speak the name of Jesus when you go onto the public schools, but they know we're from the teen center, and most of the kids have an opinion about the teen center. They know about the teen center. Um, we're also in North Stockton schools as well. So we're able to provide individual and family counseling. So if you ever have any referrals, we left some brochures in the back. Um, we, we want to be a resource to the community and to churches where you have these students and you get so far. And these kids really need a support system. They still need the family, um, the church family to come around side of them. But sometimes it's just really confusing. Why do I keep doing this? Paul says it, you know, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And they don't understand and they don't feel safe um, because it's really scary. It's not that they don't trust the person sitting with them. It's that they are just overwhelmed with fear. Um, or confusion, and a lot of times they believe lies, and so I have, we all have the opportunity to help them discern between truth and lies, and Jesus is the truth, and so it's just pretty cool that for me to be able to be on campus, and um, and that's what I'm teaching is helping them to discern truth. 
Um, anyway, so I'm on a campus. Oh, we also offer anger management, substance abuse, and gang prevention or intervention for teens. So if anyway, take a flyer. I'd really appreciate it. Just a little commercial. A little commercial. So um, anyway, I was on a campus here in Lodi, and I had a student. Um, most of the kids I work with, they've come from really traumatic situations. Um, anyway, so one kid, he's just saying that his brother moved back into his house, his older brother, and he is just irked. He's just bugged. This kid has problems and just causing havoc in the, in the home. And after a couple months, I began to clue in that he shared the same last name as Joe. And I said, hey, um, do you, are you by chance related to Joe so-and-so? He says, yeah, that's my older brother. I said, oh my gosh, I remember him in junior high. I loved him. You know, and I'm not necessarily involved in the discipline process. So I loved him. I just thought he was great. Um, I said, you need to send, you tell him that Jake wants to see him. Tell him to, you know, come home. Like, we haven't seen him in three years. Tell him to come to the teen center. And so, um, and anyway, I guess he did because later that day, or it was like literally with the next day, um, we, Jake and I pull up to the teen center and here is Joe like sitting on the curb and he is, has the most amazing smile, regardless if he's in trouble. I mean, last time I saw him, he had short hair, kind of shaved. He is like long hair, tattered. <laughs> just, he's sitting there with that big smile and it was really cool. So that's now where we will yeah. segue. And so it's like a kid that came home. Um, you know, he's smiling, that, that beautiful smile she's talking about is through facial hair now. So things have obviously changed. Um, anyways, he comes in. Actually, I, I remember driving by and thinking, oh my gosh, there's Joe. Like, I don't want to deal with this. I remember that was, that was kind of the thought process that went through my mind. And I felt, remember feeling really guilty about that. Like, I, I can't even believe I'm, um, I'm thinking this way right now. Of course, I should, I should be there and be able to, again, incarnate and, 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 and be there with him. But man, it was just, it was, it was really difficult. Like sometimes this incarnational ministry thing is hard. So anyways, I, we drove down. I said, Hey, I'll be back in a half an hour. And deep down, I was kind of hoping you wouldn't still be there. Um, that sounds really awful. Um, you have to know Joe. So anyways, uh, we, we wind up coming back and, and he's there, he's waiting, he's sitting on the steps and, um, he comes in and we get to talking and he starts sharing where he's been and from juvenile hall to group home to down to Mexico to live with some random family. Um, and, and his life just went downhill really, really quickly from the time that he left us. Um, and he says, Jake, you guys shared a lot of things with me. Um, you shared a lot of things with me about, about Jesus. I'm really ready to see what that's all about. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, and so we started talking about that. And with myself and Brad Vanderham, who's the former executive director of the teen center, um, he accepted Christ again. He decided to kind of rededicate his life to follow Jesus, which was amazing. And it was, I'm telling you, it was instant turnaround. We started seeing him jump into these young life programs. He wanted to get involved. He wanted to share this new faith that he had. He was changing. He's going home talking to his parents. And I'm so pumped, so excited about his new faith. And, and it was just, it was night and day. He was a totally new kid. And I remember being nervous the first time he came back for, through the doors of the teen center because I thought, is he going to try to sell my kids drugs? Or is he going to talk to them about Jesus? Really strange thing that happens with, with kids at the teen center. And so, you know, but it was, it, was, it was the former. He was so fired up about his faith. And so this kind of gets back to the group at Why Try. Mm -hmm. So then um, I know that all this is happening, but I cannot share. So how's your brother? Like, I can't do that in a public school setting. And so this boy, he, um, he just starts sharing. And, and he doesn't look at me in the eyes because 
that would, I don't know. The, oh, sorry. Um, he just goes, I don't know what's happened to my brother. Like, I just don't understand it. He's changed so much. I just don't understand. I mean, he was just kind of shaking his head and he goes, what is this like Jesus? And you know, you know, what, what do you guys think about God? And, and I can't just go, well, you know, until they ask me, then I can, I can say whatever I want. Cause this is right on campus, right? This is on campus. But, um, I kind of allow the group to start sharing. So a, a Apparently, Paul walked on water and Peter's head was cut off. Like, yeah, like everybody, <laughs> all the information they gave was totally wrong, but I just kind of listened. And I mean, Buddha's, all this random stuff was coming up and the kid just kept shaking his head. He's like, oh, something, something's going on. And I asked him, I said, you know, if you ever want to stay after, you're more than welcome to. And he, and I, I think he's just kind of weirded out, you know, <laughs> like my brother was one way and I, I don't really know if I can trust my brother yet. You know, I, I got to really... I got to play this out. It's basically the sense that I got. And so, you know, you just let him. And, um, and anyway, this, I I guess I just want to, we're going to continue the story, but there's just a sense that when people ask about kids at the teen center, we often only get the snapshots. So the kids at that program, I mean, that would have been the experience that I had with the brother because that, that, then that year ended and I still get to see him around town and I see him, um, I do see him frequently and I ask how he's doing, but, um, it's pretty cool that the snapshots that we get to see with the kids that we work with are pretty hard and we don't have like a lot of amazing stories. It's just like, this is a snapshot. So anyway, that was one, that was the snapshot of Joe's brother. So you continue. Yeah, the kind of the cool thing about it is what's going on in Joe's life, who's in an entirely different program at the teen center, starts affecting what's going on in his younger brother's life, who's on campus, and now they have this this amazing conversation about about who Jesus is and what he's all about right there on campus, which I, I just thought was really neat, um, and kind of how things start to work together at the teen center. Um, now, we talk about incarnational ministry. Um, it takes more than just a sermon. It, it's a process that takes time. Lots and lots and lots of time entering into these kids' lives. And when you enter into their lives, you have to enter into their junk. Um, it takes patience. It takes understanding of who these kids are, where they're coming from. It takes, in, in the same way that Jesus came here and, and met with me, we have to go there and meet with them. In the same way he understands me and all my weaknesses, we have to learn these kids and all their weaknesses and their culture and where they're coming from and, and what their family has, has brought about in their lives and, and, and recognize that salvation is not just something that happens and, and, and it's done. Being born again doesn't mean you have this, that all of a sudden this brand new life that, 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 that everything is perfect. Being born again is just the beginning of the journey, right? And so we expect Joe to be a certain way. Um, and then we get shocked when he starts to make more mistakes. Um, he comes walking into my office uh, about three months ago and says, hey, I've been dating this girl. Um, I think I want to marry her, but the problem is she's pregnant. Um, now, he's connected with several churches here in this community, a bunch of Christian people who know something about what it means to be Christian or have this perception about what, 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 it, what a Christian should look like. And a good Christian doesn't go around getting girls pregnant. Um, and so now he's all of a sudden experiencing kind of the dark side of the church and, and, and this struggle of, of, of trying to be accepted in spite of the fact that, that he's, he's really, he's made a poor choice. Not that, not that a baby is a poor choice. That's not what we're saying at all, but he made a mistake. Um, and I can remember being really like angry. Like I wanted to reach across the, the, the table and just strangle the kid. Like, what are you thinking? You know, why, why would you, 
Why would you ruin it? That's, this is what's going through my mind. I didn't say it. Praise God. Um, you ruined the entire thing. How much does that say about how much I don't know about who Jesus is? Right? This is what incarnational ministry is. It's getting in for the long haul. When Jesus says, I understand. We have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. The really rad thing about what's going on with Joe right now is that the old Joe, the 16, 17-year-old Joe, could just as easily have asked the girl to get an abortion, could just as easily have run for the hills and probably would have, could have started selling drugs again to support this whole thing, right? But the really rad thing is he walked into my office and said, I want to get married, I want to do it right. And, the, and, and, and we get to continue this incarnational ministry because now Ali and I get to it. He wants me to do the wedding. Um, we get to kind of participate in their marriage counseling. Um, He's, he tells this girl, so I got to meet with the fiance who we, we used to be in our youth group like seven years ago. Um, I baptized both these kids yeah. like seven years ago. So it's a really, <laughs> I really thing. say a lot about us, <laughs> but that uh, we're just messy. Yeah, no. Um, so anyway, the girl comes back and, and she, she says, you know, Joe says, you know, um, the church that we go to, they said, you know, they offer this, this communications class. Would you like to go to it? And I thought <laughs> the Joe, the old Joe would never have wor- wanted to work on conflict or wanted to work on anything, but God is about restoration and about forgiveness. And I just thought that was the greatest thing. And so here he is, you know, and he's open to sitting down. They're going to meet together on Monday in my office and we're going to do the whole Okay, what are all the beliefs that are holding you where you are? Because you're getting married and you're having a kid and it's, you can't live the same way anymore. And it's just, they're both wanting to work, go through that process. So not only do we get to meet with them in a informal counseling, because I have a relationship with them, um, but to really look through old patterns and old beliefs and things that are lies that keep us bound. Um, as well as talk about what it means, what the Bible communicates is really sacrificially loving another person, which I can guarantee you he's not really seen that. Um, he's been more on the victim end of stuff. So this is, to me, this is how God's made yeah. me, but I love pulling back all the layers and being like, why is it that we do the things that we do? And when somebody really wants to make a change, um, God is just, he's like, I've just been waiting for you to, to want to go there. And yeah. So I don't know. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, we could have come a month from now and been like, oh, they ran away. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but like, again, it's snapshots and God is, I mean, he knows God and he, he wants to be with him. It's just really neat. So. And so for us, this is what ministry is. It's becoming flesh and blood to these kids and moving into the neighborhood and journeying alongside them and doing the hard work of being disappointed and recognizing that these decisions don't change their entire life. There's a lot that has to go on. There's, and we all know this instinctively, right? When we change, that's just a beginning. There's so much work that has to be done. And so that's what 180 is. It's a long view, long-term, incarnational ministry. And we really appreciate the fact that we're partnered with a church that I really believe, talking with Jason, talking with Shauna, talking with some of you guys, this is a similar belief. Um, that we all have. We're in this for the long haul. We're in this life on life. Um, and so thank you so much for your partnership. Um, I look forward to being able to come back to you, come back to you in, in a few months and update you on what's going on with Joe. Um, 
and, and all the other stories that we get to hear over there that are in their own ways equally as profound. So thank you guys so much, and thanks for giving us this opportunity. Thanks, Jake. We've been dissecting week by week a little bit about this whole thing of love and our misconceptions about love and what love is and what love isn't. And tonight, um, I'm just going to talk to you just for a couple minutes. I'm not going to take a lot of time tonight. But over the course of the next week and the next two weeks together, we're going to be going through some stuff that for many of us can be kind of heavy, can be kind of hard to talk about and to deal with because we're going to be diving personally into the inner depths of where you and I live, the things that make us who we are. And what I'm talking about is I'm talking about our pain. I'm talking about our experiences. I'm talking about our hurts. And I'm talking about the things that we hang on to and the things that we need to let go of. Um, Last week, we talked about the fact that God's way of showing love to this world is is to show his love through you and through me. As a matter of fact, it says it explicitly in the book of 1 John. It says that God's love is fully expressed through us. The full expression of God's love shows itself through us, and that is a crazy thought. But it's an important thing for us to understand is that God wants to show the world around him what he looks like, and he uses us as flawed and broken as we are. And so as we've been talking about these things, we talked last week about mercy. We talked about that crazy story in the Bible about the Good Samaritan and about how racism played such a vital role in their culture and how yet in spite of all that, Jesus said, I want you to be instruments of mercy. And he just point blanks, just points out, says, show mercy. Where you go, find opportunities to show mercy. Show mercy to your children. Show mercy to your spouse. Show mercy to the people that you work with. Show mercy to people that you don't know. Let God show his love through your expression of mercy. And so tonight we're going to look at another expression of love through us. And I want to share with you a story in the book of Luke. It's found in the book of Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read you this story. You can follow along with me. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. Now, a certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar that was filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who was the host saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, that she's a sinner. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you think loved more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed with her tears and wiped them with her, with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time that I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, they have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said to themselves, who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a really, really trippy story because you and I, every single person in this room, we fall into one of two categories that are in this story. We either at certain points in our life fall into the category of the person who needs to forgive or we fall into the category of the person who's done something wrong and needs to say, I'm sorry. And we both find ourselves there at different points in our life because of different experiences. At some point in my life, somebody does something to me and I need to be the one to forgive. But other times, I'm the one that screws somebody else and I need to be saying, I'm sorry. We both find ourselves in this story through the characters and through the description that lays out. See, this guy, I want you guys to really understand what was happening here. This guy who invited Jesus to his house, he was a religious person. He was somebody who understood the way things were supposed to work in the church world. And so in his mind, God had given them all of these rules to follow. And the point of the rules was to try to keep you from getting dirty or contaminated with the bad stuff that was around the world. That was his thinking. And so when he sees this woman come into this home, he instantly thinks, this guy, Jesus, can't be from God because God would never get near something that's dirty. And she's dirty. Look at her. We know what she's done. She's, she's a whore. She's somebody who does these things. She's dirty. God would never do that. That's what he's thinking in his mind. So before you get too judgmental of this guy, you got to know where he's coming from. And so Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story. He's like, there's this, there's this guy that pours out some money, a couple people. He gives this guy a boatload of money. He gives this guy a few bucks. But they're both broke. They both live in America in 2010, right? They both lost their jobs and they're in the economy and they can't pay him back. And so the guy says, no worries, man. I'll just cover it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay me back. And Jesus is like, let me change the whole storyline for you once again. Who do you think is more grateful? And the religious guy is just like, wow, if you put it in those terms... I guess the guy that got forgiven for the bigger debt is really, really grateful because he knows it was a big deal to him. The guy that just had a few bucks forgiven, he was like, eh, easy come, easy go. See, the thing about this story that is so amazing is when Jesus says, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. You know what I have found to be true in my life and I've found to be true, especially in religious circles of people, is that a lot of times I forget how much I've really been forgiven of. And when I forget 
who I really am and who I really was before God rescued me, it's really easy for me to point my finger and to look at other people with judgment and say, you're not like God. You're not the way that God wants you to be. And when I hear a story like what Jake and Allie just shared of, of Joe, and I hear the story of him finding Christ and then starting to go to church and assimilating into the religious community and learning how to talk the talk and look clean on the outside and begin to do the moves that everybody else does. And then all of a sudden, something happens in Joe's life that just doesn't line up the way that it's supposed to, and he gets his girlfriend pregnant. See, that's when this story becomes a reality for us, doesn't it? Because how many of us, if Joe were to walk in and sit down with his pregnant girlfriend, would in our minds think, dude, you're such a screw-up, man. You know better than this. You know better than this. Come on, man. You should know better than this. And you know what we're really saying? I forgot how much I've been forgiven for. I forgot who I was when Jesus rescued me. I forgot how great the debt was that was paid for me. And I'm treating it like it was a couple bucks. Easy come, easy go. See, forgiveness in this story is a, is a really, really important thing. How many of you guys enjoy music? You guys, most of us here, if you come to this church, if you don't like music, you're probably in the wrong building. We, we love music here. We love to celebrate the arts and celebrate the musical talents and gifts God's given to, to people. But I got to tell you something. I hope I don't put anybody on the spot. How many of you ever stood next to somebody who's trying to clap their hands with the band and they just don't get it. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's clapping on the upbeat and he's clapping on the downbeat and it's just not working. What's happening is whoever this poor sucker is, is they don't have any rhythm, right? And when they don't have any rhythm, everybody around them notices, right? It affects their environment. It affects their life, right? When they're out of rhythm, everybody sees it. I want you to think about something for me, just for a second. I want you to think of forgiveness as the rhythm of your life. And when it's working, your life is just in step. And it's flowing and it's the dance is happening and you're feeling life like it was supposed to be. But when forgiveness stops, and it can be either direction, it can be you not forgiving somebody else, it can also be you not being willing to say you're sorry so that you can receive forgiveness. But you know what happens? The rhythm of your life, it gets disrupted and people notice People notice when you don't allow forgiveness to be expressed through your life. All I got to do is have a conversation with one of you for a few minutes and listen to the edge to your voice or listen to the frequent conversational topics that come up and it becomes clear very quickly whether or not you've got something just stuck in your heart that you just can't let go of. It disrupts your rhythm. God wants forgiveness to be something that is just natural. Because how many of you know this world is going to hurt you? How many of you know people that you love are going to hurt you? 
How many of you know that if you're going to try to get through this life unscathed, good luck. You have to understand that forgiveness is how God shows love to the world. Forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is not something that you and I really understand and doesn't come easy for us. But it's the way God wants it. I want to ask you something tonight. And some of you will just nonchalantly say, oh, yeah, no problem. But I want you to think about it for a second. Do you know how to say, I'm sorry? Do you know how to say the words, I am sorry? Cannot come to terms with saying the words, I'm sorry? then there's a part of this story that we just read in the Bible that you'll feel very comfortable playing, the part of the judge. You see, the reason it is so important for you to be able to say I'm sorry is because forgiveness is a transaction that happens between two people every single time. There's a person who gives forgiveness and there's a person that receives forgiveness. And many of us think in our minds that as long as I'm easy to just forgive other people when they hurt me, I'm fine. And that's, you know, a big part of it. And we'll talk about that some more next week. But if you don't ever come to the place to where you own what you've done to other people, you're not receiving the forgiveness that God wants for you to receive. And they're on the other side, trying their hardest to say, I want to forgive this person, but they won't even own what they've done. They won't even say they're sorry. They won't even admit that there was anything wrong. Do you know how hard it is for that transaction to take place when there's only one person involved? You know how hard it is to get anywhere with somebody who just, uh, it's no big deal. I didn't do anything. To say the words, I'm sorry, and own what you've done Let's the rhythm that God created of forgiveness to work in your life and in everybody else's life. Forgiveness is one of those things that when it's working, your life is working. But when it's not, there's nothing that will put the brakes faster on your life than refusing to let something go. You see what Jesus says at the very end of this, of this uh, story? He says to this woman some powerful words. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. True love is shown whenever forgiveness is shown. Whenever forgiveness flows, God is shown. You see this concept of love that we've been talking about? It's got so many different faces and so many different expressions. And for us to truly understand love and to understand that God lives in us and he is love and he is wanting to express himself everywhere we go to every person. We think in our minds that, that to show love is just handing somebody a couple bucks if they're hungry or is just opening the door for somebody or some kind gesture. And God is saying, you don't understand how deep my love is. My love is so deep that it goes to the core of you. And if you want to show my love, you've got to say, I'm sorry. And you've got to own what you've done. And you've got to be willing to let that forgiveness happen. See, there's another, there's another twist on this whole thing. 
that I think is the, is the, it's the linchpin, it's the hinge pin for this whole thing. Some of us, just like that woman, we really, when we look at ourselves, we don't like what we see. And just like this guy that was thinking in his mind, God would never get next to this woman because she's dirty. When we look at our lives, we think, I'm dirty too. And there's an element of shame and there's an element of, I just want to withdraw into the shadows that keeps us down. And for us to vocalize or for us to step forward and make attention drawn to us and say, look, I'm sorry for what I did. It hurts us because we don't want to be noticed. We want to just kind of blend in. God did not create us to blend in. God created us to show us. God created us to be able to show how great a love he has for us. And he chose to do it through us. His full expression of love comes through us. It doesn't come through a band. It doesn't come through a pastor teaching a sermon. It doesn't come through some good person that you know. God's full expression of love comes through you. When a world holds on to pain and holds on to their anger and holds on to their bitterness and says, I'll go to my dying day before I'll let this thing go. God says, let me show them love. Forgive. Forgive. Let it go. Let me show you how great and how different I am from anything else in this world. Let me show you to forgive. And it starts with us receiving God's forgiveness for our lives. That's where it all starts. See, God didn't ever tell us to do something that he didn't want to teach us how to do first. And so he came for us and he showed us love and he forgave. And in this story that we read, we see the most beautiful expression of how God sees forgiveness. That there is no big thing and small thing. That there is no wrong that I can hang on to because it's really not that big a deal. God says, let it go. Let it all go. Some of you tonight are sitting here and you're just thinking, holy crap, what did I walk into here? This is it. This is real life. We don't like to just, you know, play games and tell people, you know, oh, everybody's going to be fine. You're going to feel good if you go to church. Well, sometimes you don't need to feel good when you go to church. Sometimes you need to be slapped in the head a couple times with reality, right? It feels good after a while because it's the truth. I, I'm tired of being lied to. I get lied to all the time. Just turn on the TV and, you know, whatever. But if you want to deal with the stuff inside your heart, it's, 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 it's easier than, it, than you think. My wife said to me not too long ago, forgiveness is not a process. It's a choice. And she was right. Sometimes we think that forgiveness is something that we have to just kind of work over and over and over. You know what the reality is? When you look at a story like these, this, Jesus says, it's a choice. Are you going to hang on or are you going to let go? There's not an in-between where I'm kind of hanging on. Are you going to hang on or are you going to let go? And then learning to support that decision by your lifestyle and by your choices. There is help for you. Saturday nights, before we have church here, we've got an amazing, amazing class that many of us are going through. It's called Life's 
Healing Choices. And it is a class that is specifically designed for you and me to be able to look at the stuff in our life and the pain in our life and to be able to make the choice to learn how to live free and to learn how to have the truth of God captivate our hearts. And if there's anything that I have said tonight, if there's anything that I have said in the last few minutes that has made your heart kind of go like this and skip a beat, I'll see you next Saturday night at 545. Because that's where you need to be. Because there's something inside of you that you don't want to look at. There's something in your life that you don't want to let go of. There's something in your life that you know is affecting the rhythm of your life. I'm going to have Josh come up and he's going to lead us in a few more songs of worship as we take a few minutes together to process what God is bringing to the surface of our hearts and of our life. And as we begin to get real with God, amazing things happen. See, I have, I have had God show me over the course of the last six months a couple amazing things. One is that his love knows no bounds. It'll go places that I never thought possible for his love to go. And he also showed me something else is that the way that God changes our hearts is a random thing all over the map and he will use anything in our life that we give to him. My friend Larry was talking to me before church tonight and I was asking him about some stuff in his life and he said that exact thing. He says, you know, Jason, when you go through hard times and when you go through something difficult, if you give it to God and let him use it, he'll turn it into something precious as gold. And Larry's right. But first, you got to give it to him. And so tonight, as we just take a couple moments to sing and to reflect on what's going on inside of us, my offer to you is simple. If you need to talk to somebody or if you need prayer, don't walk out of here tonight without having one of those things happen. I'll be up here. There'll be other people as we dismiss in a few minutes I would love to talk to you and have a cup of coffee with you and just talk about the stuff that you're feeling as a result of hearing a story like this. And there's a room full of people that would love to pray with you tonight before you leave. If you feel like you're in a place where it's just too dark or too heavy for you to be able to do it by yourself. But you have to respond to God. You got to respond to him. However that looks. Let's sing this song together. Would you stand with me? You've been listening to Gravity Church.